Let's take our Bibles and be turning to the Gospel of Mark this morning. Mark, and we're going to begin in chapter 4 of Mark. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark in recent weeks in our Sunday morning uh, service. And we'll take up where we left off last week in Mark chapter 4. The first 34 verses, which basically is most of this chapter, have to do with a single subject. And we will only tackle a part of it today. But that single subject is the reception of the Word of God. How is the Word of God received? You know, we're going to talk a little bit today about the potential in the Word of God. And the Bible likens it in our text to a seed. But it also teaches us that the, the great power that is innate in that seed of the gospel can be rendered ineffective. And it's our response to the gospel that determines whether is it effective or ineffective in our life. And nothing, nothing will influence our spiritual growth more than the way we receive the Word of God. So with that in mind, let's stand together. And uh, if you're able to stand, I want to read the first three verses before we pray. The Word of God says, And he, talking of course about Jesus, And he began again to teach by the seaside. There was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. We've seen this scene in a number of different places where the masses of people, Jesus communicating to them, and to use the benefit of the water and the stage, he'd get in a boat, get away from the coast, a little bit away from the shore, and there he would speak to this great multitude. Verse 2 says, And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, listen, pay attention. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. Let's ask God's blessing today upon his word. Father, we pray that you'd bless today the reading, the hearing, the teaching, the listening, the reception, the application of the Word of God. May you work in our hearts today. Help us as we sometimes have a tendency when we read over familiar passages that we fail to give it the attention it deserves. We want to give our undivided attention to the Word of God today. Work in our hearts. We need you. We desperately need you. All of us do. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I had this um, reminder, I don't know if it was this morning or yesterday, reading over this passage, of what a blessing it is to actually be able to read the very words that Jesus spoke to others. You know, all of us would say, boy, I could, wish I could have been there. I wish I could have listened. I wish I could have heard the words. And yet that's exactly what we have the opportunity to do 
today because He speaks to us through His words. These are the very words that He used as He talked to these people. It says in verses 1 and 2, as we read earlier, He began to teach again there in verse 1. Now we've mentioned this before, it's worth mentioning again, that this is the primary reason Jesus came, to teach, to preach, to give people the Word of God. The most valuable thing Jesus did on this earth before going to the cross had to do with His teaching and His preaching. And by the way, the greatest treasure that He left us when He ascended back into heaven, the greatest treasure has to do with His words. And what are we to do with these words? We're to read them, we're to believe them, we're to receive them, but also we're to distribute them. Verse 2 says, He taught them many things by parables. We're going to talk more about parables, Lord willing, in our next lesson from Mark chapter 4. But He taught them by parables. And it also says in verse 2, And said unto them in His doctrine... The word doctrine has to do with message, content, His Word, His teaching. Doctrine is teaching. He spoke to them with His doctrine. I've heard, I've heard people who should know better say one of the most foolish statements that you'll ever say as a person who professes to believe, and that is, I don't think doctrine is important. I'll tell you, doctrine is everything. Doctrine matters. Doctrine is what Jesus gave us, and doctrine is what the Bible is. It's teaching. And so, verse 3 he begins this parable. Verse 3, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. The sower is sowing. And what is the sower sowing? Now, you may immediately fast forward to later in the chapter and say, sowing the word. No, let's just imagine you're hearing this as Jesus said it for the first time. What does the sower sow? He sows seed. The sower is going out and he is sowing seed. Um, there's a word uh, that's kind of gotten old-fashioned, become old-fashioned and not familiar to many, that uh, used to be used in agriculture about what Jesus is talking about. It's called broadcasting. And a, a broadcaster, now we think of a broadcast as a radio program or a television program. And think about the word, broadcast. It's casting broadly. And in radio broadcasting, it's casting the music or casting the message. And in a generation ago, a broadcaster was a piece of equipment that now it's called a spreader. But in then it was called a broadcaster and it, was, it would cast abroad. And what would he cast abroad? It would cast seed. It would spread or disperse the seed. We were working over the cemetery yesterday and one of the adjoining houses, I've been looking for someone to come out so I could talk to them, uh, get me out of work, you know, talk to people. So I was watching, and here, here comes my, the person I've been looking for. A man uh, comes outside, and he's, he's fertilizing his yard, and he has one of these little push, you push it, it's a, a seed distributor, we would call it a broadcaster, a seed spreader, they would say now it's spreading, and he just pushes it along, and it's just casting out, broadcasting, casting the seed or casting the fertilizer broadly. Now that's the picture Jesus gives us. A sower went out, it says in verse 3, a, there went out a sower to sow. He's casting forth the seed. 
And as we're going to read on, this seed, just like this fellow yesterday, he's, he's pushing this little machine and, and the fertilizer is spreading itself, just flying out. This is the first thing I said to him. I walked up to him and I said, could I ask you to do me a favor? And he said, uh, sure, what is it? And I said, try not to get that on the cemetery because we don't want to mow any more than we have to. <laughs> but anyway, he's spreading this fertilizer, but it's going everywhere. Some of it may fall on rocks. Some of it, there was a stump over there. A big tree had been mowed down. And there was just a stump almost level with the ground. Some of it may fall on that stump. Some of it may fall on good soil. Some of it falls on places where there's a lot of grass. Some of it may fall on his sidewalk. But that's the lesson here in Mark chapter 4. And look what the first thing that Jesus said there in verse 4. And it came to pass, as he sowed, as this sower was sowing, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Now the wayside actually is talking about a path or a road. When it says, of, when Jesus said, I am the way, the word way is a path, it's a road. And when you're, this man is going out to sow, Jesus said, and some of the seed, he's just, he just casting seed out. And some of the seed falls basically on the roadside or on, a, on the path. And what does it say in verse 4? The fowls of the air came and devoured it up. But then look in verse 5. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. So it... it grew briefly, but when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. So here's the seed falling on rocky ground. There's some soil there, but mostly just rocks. And, you know, I think if, even if you don't know a whole lot about agriculture or planting grass seed or planting a garden you would know that if you're going to plant seed, you don't want to do it on rocky ground, which is very common, rocky ground here in Missouri. But it did spring up quickly. But it was short-lived. And the reason it was short-lived was because the soil was so thin, the, rock, the rocks were so dominant, predominant, the, soil, the dirt was so shallow it couldn't last. Why? Because for a plant to grow, it has to have roots. If a, if a plant is going to grow and sustain growth, it has to have a depth of soil. So some fell, it says, on, and by, I thought about this. We were, I remember one day we were in Israel and we were in a tour bus and I was looking out the window at all the rocky ground. And I thought about Jesus teaching this very parable about the rocky ground and how the rocky ground does not produce good fruit bearing uh, material. But then he goes on to say in verse 7, if you'll look there with me, and some fell among thorns. That would happen. If you're planting seed, you're broadcasting seed, some of it may fall among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no fruit. So here's a, a third kind of soil, some by the wayside, some stony ground, and sung among thorns. The thorns and thistles just choked it out. It could not produce. It was overtaken. It began to grow, but it was overtaken by the thorns and the thistles. 
But then look in verse 8. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100 foes. So there were some that fell on good soil and it produced fruit. Now, Jesus is going to explain this parable, but let's just imagine for a moment that you'd never heard this parable before. You'd never read the scripture before. You'd never heard the application of it. And you were listening to this. You were just sitting and listening to Jesus. And you'd be wondering, I wonder what this is about. You know, here he has the microphone and he's talking about, you know, agriculture, planting seed or how to have a garden and how to get the weeds out of your garden and the importance of getting the rocks out of your garden. And that's what they were thinking. What, what is this story about? And that's what you and I would be thinking if we'd never heard his teaching. What is he trying to teach us from this? Look in verse 10, it says, And when he was alone, when Jesus was alone, they that were with him, with the twelve, that's the twelve and the other disciples, ask of him the parable. Would you explain this parable to us? By the way, it's good to ask questions about things you don't understand. Would you explain this parable? You know what we would do sometimes? We would sit there and nod our head and act like we knew what he's talking about when really we didn't. But we ought to ask questions. What does this mean? Why, do you, why are you teaching us this? And in verse 13, there's an interesting comment Jesus made in verse 13. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? You don't understand this parable? And how then can you know all parables? It's an interesting thing. Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you're going to have problems with other parables. I think that makes this parable especially significant. So what did Jesus say in explanation of this parable? Let's look at it in verse 14 together. The sower soweth the word. So he says, I, I wasn't just teaching you about seed and plant seed and uh, making a garden or planting a fruit tree. I was talking to you about the word. The, what the sower is sowing is the word. So there is no dispute what this parable is about. It's about God's word. Right? God's word is like a seed. And it is planted for the purpose of bearing fruit. Now, that's what this parable is about. So if we're going to understand the parable, we have to understand what Jesus was teaching us. The sower sowed the, the seed, and the seed is the Word of God. And the purpose of that seed is that wherever it is responded to properly, it will produce fruit. Now, there is a miracle-working power in a seed that is sown, right? It's an amazing thing. The power of a little tiny seed. Even a mustard seed, the tiniest of seeds. There's such power in that. And so this lesson is about distributing or broadcasting God's Word. God's Word will never produce anything until it is scattered. Until it is broadcast. Now I'm not going to do this, but I promise you I could bring some seed, some plant seed, and set it here on this pulpit. 
And we could just watch it for weeks. I mean, we'd come back and check on that seed. Watch it. And I'm going to tell you that seed will never produce anything sitting there. The, the, the environment, the conditions have to be right for that seed to grow. Now, what is the seed? It's the Word of God. God's Word is like a seed. What we've read today, for instance, the seed is God's Word. It's like a seed. And it has great power. But it must be distributed. It must be scattered. So this lesson is about spreading the gospel. And the gospel can be spread many ways. And that's not the focus of the message, but it's a part of it. It's, it can be, God's Word is being spread today. It's being spread this very moment. It's been spread here. It's being spread in children's church services. God's Word is being distributed. It was spread this morning at nursing homes. It'll be spread this afternoon at nursing homes and jail services. God's Word needs to be spread. And it's being spread as people share it. God's Word has power to change lives. But it must be distributed. It's also distributed through literature. I mentioned here, here's, here, here's pieces of literature. Those, those pieces of literature are just so much ink on a piece of card or paper, right? But they contain the Word of God. And God's Word is a seed that can change people's lives. And, and that's why we want to share the Word of God. We, we want to distribute the Word of God. We're not, we're not salesmen, we're, we're sowers, right? And we're sowing the Word of God. So it's about this matter of God's Word being distributed and getting it out. But it's also, and most, most importantly in this text, it's about receiving God's Word. How is God's Word received? Well, if you look in verse 15, Jesus explains, And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, where the seed is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So there's the teaching about the first Response: The seed was sown by the wayside on the road. It was, it was just thrown out there like it's thrown on the road. One of the Gospels says it was trampled under the foot of man. That's what happens sometimes. People hear the word and they just dismiss it. It's not even, it doesn't even register. And notice what it says. It's not, verse 15 was not about the birds coming and stealing it away. But the explanation says in verse 15, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. That's what happens sometimes when the seed is sown. As soon as it goes out, Satan immediately comes and just takes it away. Never really gets received properly, never believed in a person's heart, never responded to. Satan just steals it away. By the way, don't you think that happens pretty frequently? Absolutely. Jesus is teaching about the seed and the sower and the soil. Then go on and look in verse, with, verse 16, if you would please. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. This is who that represents. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Immediately. They said, this is good. 
They, they're, they're, they have reason to rejoice. But verse 17 says, And have no root in themselves. Remember, these are the rocky, stony ground. Have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Now this is where the word is sown on rocky soil. And people seem to have a good response to it. But because it's rocky, because their soil is so shallow, when problems come, they just turn away. There's no depth to their life. There's no genuine commitment. It's just a shallow surface kind of of a, of a reception of the seed. And therefore, there's no fruit in their life. By the way, these kind of people are found many places in the Bible. And I don't want to confuse you by this, but I could show you examples of it. But there are many places in the Bible where it uses language like this. About first, For instance, 1 Corinthians 15, he says about the gospel, the meaning of the gospel, the message of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, was buried on the third day raised. And then he said this, this is the gospel that was preached unto you after you received it, unless you received it in vain. You know what that means? It means they, they, they heard it, but they didn't really take it seriously. It wasn't something they were really serious about. They didn't really, really want to receive Christ into their life and receive the message of the gospel. And so you say, well, how do you know about that person? Well, sometimes it takes time to know that. Like this second soil. If you checked on that, we've, we've planted stuff like this around our place. In a few days, a week or two, it just seems like it's coming up like crazy. But then all of a sudden it's gone. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way some people's commitments are. You know, they, they, they seem like they're, they're serious about it. They seem to be happy about it. But then time will tell, really, how time will tell how genuine their commitment was. So those are the ones on rocky soil. And then you say with me, if you would, please, in verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Now again, the seed is the word. Jesus explaining it. The, the third type are those who sown among thorns. And the, here's, here's the description. Look in verse 19. This is so relevant. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things enter in, entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. It's sown among thorns. The, the thorns are already there, right? And it's sown among the thorns. So when the seed goes, it's already thorny. Briars and thickets. People hear the word, but, but there's so much of the care of the world in them. So much of the lust for other things that it chokes out the word. And the word produces no fruit. Jesus is explaining this. And here's the favorite one, of course, the 20th verse, the last one. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. This is where the seed is sown on good ground. The hearers receive it. They take it in. I, I like uh, one comment that... Uh, 
Luke mentions is, is Luke gives us his record of this parable of the sower, Luke chapter 8. He says this, They on good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. So we're not adding anything to this to say that the, the soil represents the person's heart. Would you agree with that? The condition of their heart. Sometimes the heart is cluttered and too occupied with the things of this world. Sometimes the heart is rocky and stony and hard. And sometimes it's immediately snatched away. But this person, Luke says, receives the word into an honest and good heart. And he says, having heard the word, keep it. This heart, this soil is fertile soil. It's receptive. It's broken. I say broken in the, in the sense of an agriculture. If you're going to plant the garden, it's good to run the tiller over the garden, right? Break up the soil. Don't just throw it out there on top of the crusty earth. You break up the soil. This is the heart that's been broken. It's a repentant heart. It's a humble heart. I'm thinking of what James said. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. Meekness is humility. It's the absence of self-life, self-pride. Receive with meekness the what? The engrafted word, which is what? The seed. So this is the good seed. Produces fruit. Now, it doesn't look in verse uh, 20. It doesn't all produce the same kind of fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Uh, you know, so, you, so this, every, every person... This is talking about people. Every person who receives the Word of God into a good heart, into the right kind of heart, will produce fruit. Amen. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Some person says, well, I'm, I'm born again, I'm saved, I know I asked Jesus in my heart, and they never, ever, ever have any kind of fruit in their life. I question their conversion. Based on what, preacher? You're being judgmental. No, based on the Word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. There ought to be some kind of fruit. Fruit in their life. The fruit produced not by them, fruit produced by the Word of God. Because it's a seed, and it's a good seed, by the way. It produces fruit. So we see in this the danger of the cluttered heart, the materialistic heart, a selfish heart, but we also see the evidence of, of good fruit. Now, here's what I want to do for just a few moments. And I, and I think this is the point that I want us to think about and take with us today. There are reasons that God's Word does not bear fruit. It has nothing to do with the seed. The seed is powerful. The seed is perfect. There's, has, the reason it does not bear fruit has nothing to do with the seed. And by the way, it has nothing to do with other people. Friends or family. The reason the seed doesn't bear fruit has to do with our heart. That's why people can hear the Word of God and it doesn't change them at all. It doesn't mean that the Bible's not good and powerful. It means there's something wrong in their heart as far as receiving the Word of God is concerned. If you look at these four people, in verse 15 it says, 
um, those by the wayside when they've heard. In verse 16 it says, the stony ground when they have heard the word. Verse 18, these among thorns such as hear the word. Verses 20, those on good soil, they hear the word. All four of these people heard the word, right? All four of these people heard the same message. And by the way, this is, what, this is the target of the word of God. It's the heart of the hearer. God wants to deal with our hearts. Dealing with your mind, you can have all kinds of theological information up here and your heart be far from God. That's what the Pharisees were. With your mouth you say certain things, but your heart is far from me. God deals with the heart. And right now this morning, case in point, all of us are hearing the Word of God. And it's powerful. But what would God want to do in my life because of it? This powerful, powerful truth. And it is powerful. I was uh, looking yesterday at some of the passages in the Bible. For instance, Jeremiah said, Your word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. That's God's word. And Jeremiah also said, Your work is like a fire. It consumes. It's a powerful word. Hebrews says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that divideth asunder the soul and spirit. Imagine a sword so sharp that that sword going into your inner life can precisely separate what is spirit and soul, spirit and mind, spirit and emotions. The Word of God is powerful, sharp. It's powerful. It's life-giving. Peter says we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. The Word of God is planted in a person's heart, brings regeneration, it brings new life, it quickens them. It provides nourishment for the hungry soul, hungry soul. The Word of God is so powerful. But what makes it ineffective? Or what makes it effective? It's the condition of the heart that hears it. Now, you already know this, but there's only one person on the planet that is responsible for the condition of my heart, and that's me. And there's only one person on the planet that's responsible for the condition of your heart, and that's you. Now, we can blame other people for why we're not doing better spiritually. We can blame other people. We can look back at bad things that have happened to us. But I'm just telling you, the Word of God is powerful. But the response that we have to the Word of God depends on where our heart is. The stony heart, like the hardened heart, maybe hardened because of sin, maybe hardened because of bitterness or unforgiveness or pride or stubbornness or lust or hypocrisy. All these things harden our heart. All these things keep us from being receptive to the Word of God. I mean, how much impact will the Word of God have? You say, well, how do you change that? The only way to change that is through a genuine 
cleansing of our heart, confessing our sin. You know, the Old Testament prophet said, break up the fallow ground, the, the hardened heart that's become callous and unresponsive. You have to break it up with what? With repentance and confession and turning to God and honest evaluation. Otherwise, there's no soil, no depth of soil. It's just a shallow... Even people who try to make, make some commitment or some profession or some, some change, some reform in their life, if it's just added on to a hard heart, it's not going to produce fruit. But it's when that soil, through repentance and confession and seeking God and honest evaluation, and we break up that fallow ground, our heart becomes responsive to the Word of God. The cluttered heart. What did, what did he say about the cluttered heart? He's in verse uh, 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things. All this stuff, a worldly focus, materialism, selfish ambitions, selfish goals. All these attitudes choke out the Word of God. I know it seems almost disrespectful to say this. That the Word of God that is so powerful... By the way, the Word of God created the heaven and the earth and the planets and everything that has life. The Word of God did that. It's a God, when God says something, it's powerful. But it seems almost disrespectful to say that somehow what you and I do could make the Word of God such a powerful seed ineffective. But in reality, that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Worldliness, wanting the things of the world, loving the things of the world, choke out the Word of God. What I find here is really what I would say is one of the keys to spiritual growth or spiritual progress, and that's the condition of the heart. And by the way, that's the only way a person gets saved. There has to be a repentant heart to receive the gospel. When you receive the gospel into a repentant heart, it changes a person's life forever. But just hearing the gospel will not change a person's life if the heart is not receptive to the Word of God. And I could also say this is where revival begins. With transparency and honesty and confession. We have to admit our need. We have to be willing to admit God's Word is not working in my life and it's not everybody else's fault. We have to break up that fallow ground through what I would call soul-searching repentance. Being willing to obey God. Being willing to follow God's will. Being willing to separate from the things of the world that choke out the Word of God can choke out God's Word, the seed is able to produce fruit. The seed is able to change lives. And the better that the soil is prepared, the better the harvest. I think sometimes people just come into church without really preparing their heart, without really looking for God to speak, asking God to speak, without really yielding. to, And we wonder, why, didn't, why does the Word of God not impact us more? I'm telling you, where there's 
Where there's hypocrisy and pride and stubbornness, the seed will not be effective. This is, that's why I believe this is one of the reasons Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to get a lot of parables. Because this is, this is foundational. Right? Coming to God with an open heart. Looking into the Bible like you're looking into a mirror to be able to see yourself. Right? That we might make changes. That we might be honest before God. So I ask this in closing. Number one, was there ever a day in your life, please don't dismiss this, was there ever a day in your life when you came to God with a heart that wanted to know God and be forgiven and you came to God with a repentant heart and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And He changed your life. It produced fruit in your life. I'm not saying you're perfect. None of us are. But salvation will produce fruit in your life. I noticed a tree in our yard a couple of days ago where it's starting to blossom. A peach tree. It's going to produce some peaches. How do you know that? Because that's what happens. It'll produce fruit. And if you get saved, you're going to produce fruit. There's going to be evidence in your life. If that hadn't happened to you today, I just want to tell you, you don't just need more religion. You need Jesus Christ. You need Christ, and we're here to help you with that. You ought to come today and say, Preacher, I, want to, I, need, to, I need to get this nailed down. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a while. You ought to come. But maybe you're today, and you're certain about your salvation, but if you'd be honest... The Word of God is not producing the fruit in your life that you think it should based on what we've talked about today. And maybe there's something in your heart that's hindering that, preventing that. Some attitude, some issue, some sin, some behavior, some attraction to the world. That the Word of God is not just really changing your life. Today would be a good day to say, God, I want to bring you a broken heart. I want, to, I want to come to you with honest confession and sincerity and say, God, work in my heart. Work in my heart. Amen.